Uh, if you've got one of these, page 738. 738 is what I'd like you to turn to, and that's the book of Isaiah, chapter 50. This is what God says. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins you were sold? Because of your transgressions your mother was sent away? When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord? and obeys the word of his servant. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand you will lie down in torment. Well, thank you, uh, Nigel, for leading. Thank you, Johnny and Dan, for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, let's uh, bow our heads and come before the Lord as we seek his face. Father God, we thank you that uh, we can come and worship you alone because you are the only true God who deserves our worship and praise. And we thank you for your word that we can listen to, that we can hear, that we can read. And we ask, Lord God, that you would uh, open our hearts, open our ears to listen, open our hearts to respond, that we might obey your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. I'm surprised that on the uh, favourite sport nobody mentioned curling, which I thought was <laughs> particularly good. 
but um, maybe that's because I'm a Scot. <laughs> um, now, Maury, the, uh, the people who do opinion polls, conducted a survey in 2017. And, and in that poll, they asked people who were the most trusted people in society. Would anyone like to have a guess as to who was regarded as the most trusted people in society? I saw Joe with her hands up. No. <laughs> no. 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 Oh, you're getting warm. You're getting actually nurses. So, if there's anyone we can actually trust in our congregation this morning, it's Sue sitting on the front <laughs> row. What about the least trusted people? Oh, that's, that's it. The least trusted people. 91% of people trust nurses to tell them the truth and 17% of people trust politicians not to tell them the truth. You see, the issue of trust um, is a vitally important one, is it not, in our society, uh, in our government, in our judges, in our police, in our public servants, in our charities. We expect them to be trustworthy. And when these things don't happen, as they sometimes do, the fallout can be devastating when trust is lost. What about a bit nearer to home? When trust is lost between a husband and a wife, between children and parents, between families, the effects of that can be devastating. You see, it's in our relationships that trust is most clearly demonstrated. Now, as we approach Easter, uh, we've been looking through the book of Isaiah the prophet, who lived during the reign of four kings in Judah. And he died over a hundred, about over a hundred years um, before the exile to Babylon. And we have, in, we have uh, in particular been, attention to, been paying attention to the character called the servant. We've already learnt about the servant in previous chapters in the last few weeks. In chapters 42 of Isaiah, it says that he will bring justice to the nations and be a light to the Gentiles. And again in chapter 49, he will be a light to the Gentiles and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Kings will stand up in his presence and princes will bow down before him. And this morning we're going to be considering the servant again. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to our passage this morning. Uh, we find the aim of our passage this morning in verse 10. Look at it with me, please. Who among you fears the Lord? and obeys the word of his servant. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Trust. This is the aim of the passage. Trust in the name of the Lord. The first thing we have to ask ourselves is this. Who are these words addressed to? And to, what, and to what was their situation? So who are these words addressed to? And what was their situation? The words are addressed to the exiles, to the people of God, who at this time were in captivity in Babylon. Now Babylon was a brutal 
and conquering nation. We read about them earlier on in chapter 39 of Isaiah. Um, the accounts when Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah at that time, invited the envoy, an envoy of Babylon, to come and view his palace and his temple. And God was not happy with Hezekiah when he'd done this. And Isaiah said these words to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace, all that your predecessors have stored up until this day, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the, king, in the palace of the king of Babylon. So the message here is addressed in verse 10, is addressed to the exiles, to the people who were in exile, who were in Babylon. But what was their situation? Their situation is described as being in a place of darkness. You see, the people of God were walking in darkness. They were in a place where there was no light. In the Bible, God's word is often referred to and described as light. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light on my path. God's word is light. It reveals the truth about God. It shows us, as his people, how to live. It shows us how to take the right path as we follow him. You see, it's very easy to understand verse 10. Let him who walks in the dark and has no light is saying that we should trust God whenever we are in a dark place or going through a difficult time. Now that is true, but that's not, what's, that's not the point of the verse here. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, sorry, 1 John chapter 1, uh, we are reminded as Christians, are we not, that as we follow Jesus, we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's speaking about walking in obedience to our God. And the people of God here had chosen not to do this. They did not listen to God. They did not heed his warnings. They did not walk according to his word. They chose to ignore his word. No, the people here were in darkness because they had rejected God's truth to them. We find a little hint of that, don't we, in the first few verses here of chapter 50. We're not going to really focus on that today. But the people there are accusing God of, as it were, breaking the marriage covenant of divorcing them. And God says, that's not the case. You're in this place because of your sins, because you have forgotten me. You see, when Isaiah talks about darkness, it is often used to describe God's judgment. We find an example of this in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 22, where the people of God sought the guidance of spiritualists and mediums rather than God himself, where they chose to ignore the light of God's word and they were thrust into darkness. So this verse in verse 10 represents God's judgment. The people in Babylon were under the judgment of God. And in their darkness, they were asked to trust God and obey his words again, obey the words of his servant. 
And by responding to the verse, the question in verse 10, the person is actually acknowledging their guilt before God. They're acknowledging their sin. Who among you fears the Lord? Let the one who says, I am in darkness, I have no light. You see, the servant who we're going to look at in a moment was not walking in darkness. He was walking in the light because he trusted God's words and he obeyed the sovereign Lord. We read about this servant really in verses 4 and onwards. Now, you might be asking yourself this morning, what has this got to do with me today? Today, here in the 21st century, I'm not an exile in Babylon. You're talking about events that happened nearly 3,000 years ago. But these, this passage is significant for us today because we live today in the 21st century here in Epsom in a world of darkness, a world that is under the judgment of a holy God, a world where, generally speaking, God's word is ignored, considered as outdated, archaic, and irrelevant. Where people have chosen to rely on their own light, to light their own torches, to trust in their own ideas and philosophies, to make up their own truth. So ask yourself this question this morning as we consider this passage. Who am I trusting? Who am I trusting? Uh, we are shown in this passage the characteristics and the qualities of the Lord's servant and why we should obey him and trust, as the people have been asked, trust in the name of the Lord. Now, I want to say at the outset that the servant in this passage is actually not named. Some commentators believe he might be Isaiah. Some, might, some say he might be a disciple of Isaiah. But what we can say about this servant is that he points us very clearly to the Messiah, to the Messiah who suffered, the servant king, the Lord Jesus. And this becomes very clear, especially in the next chapter, in chapters 52 and 53. So this servant points us to Jesus, points us to the suffering servant. Now there are four things that I want to say about this servant this morning. The first thing to say, as we see there in verse 4, that he is a teacher. The servant is a teacher. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He's received instruction. He has been taught by the sovereign Lord himself. Now we know that anyone who would teach the word of God must first be taught by it himself. And the servant here is such a person. Every day, morning by morning, he is ready to be taught by the word of God, to learn its wisdom, to understand its truth, that he might teach those who will listen. 
Does this not remind us of our Savior? Does this not remind us of the Lord Jesus? I mean, have you ever considered the Lord Jesus himself had a three-year ministry? For the first 30 years of his life, there was very little mention of him. We have an account when he was a 12-year-old boy, when you would not have been happy with him if you had been his mother, because he went missing for four days, and he was found. Where was he found? He was found to be in the temple, speaking and listening to the teachers of the law. And what was their reaction when they heard this young boy speak? Luke chapter 2 tells us that everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You see, like the servant here, Jesus was in communion with his heavenly father, being instructed that he might speak the word of God with great wisdom before he commenced his ministry. So the servant speaks as one who is instructed, as one who has been taught by the word of God. Words are so easy to say. Once spoken, they can never be taken back or forgotten. And in our modern age of social media and Twitter, which I don't use, I wouldn't even know how to use it, frankly, things are often spoken or tweeted in haste and without much thought, and they are often under misunderstood and often said in anger. I'm sure that every person here can think of things they have said with their lips, with their tongue in the past that you deeply regret now. I know I have. Things I've said that I wish I had never said. And we are warned, are we not, in James chapter 3 of the destructive power of the tongue when words are spoken without wisdom. My friends, or oh, that we would be instructed by the word of God when we speak. That we would let it be our teacher, our instructor. But what does the servant say? So he's been given a tongue that is instructed. He's been given an instructed tongue. He's been taught by the sovereign Lord. But what does he say? In verse 4, he speaks a word that sustains the weary a word of hope, a word of comfort, a word in season to the weary soul. So you see, these words were spoken into a situation that was extremely hard and difficult for God's people to bear. As I've said before, the Babylonians were cruel captors. They, they treated the people harshly and with great contempt. Earlier on in uh, Isaiah, we, do, we, we read about this in chapter 47, where the prophet predicts the fall of Babylon. This is what, and this is what he says. This is, what, this is God speaking. I gave them into your hand, and you showed them no mercy. Even on the aged, you laid a very heavy yoke. And again in Psalm 137, it shows that they were treated with contempt and scorn. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors 
asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord whilst in a foreign land? So the people were treated harshly. The Babylonians were cruel and they treated them with utter contempt and scorn. And the servant says to the people here who are weary to these exiles in Babylon, listen, listen, I have a word from God. Listen to me. This word will sustain you. It will strengthen you. It will carry you. It will bear you up. It will renew your strength. These were not empty words. The words of God would sustain his people. This reminds us, does it not, of that beautiful verse in chapter 40 of Isaiah. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. My friend, these are beautiful words. But these are words that give us real hope. They are words that sustain us. The word of God sustains us when we are weary. Does this not remind us of the Lord Jesus when he walked this earth? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My friends, has there been anyone in human history who has ever spoken with such authority as the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the servant, the perfect servant of God, and we should trust in him this morning. But the second thing I want us to learn about this servant is that he is a listening servant. He listens. He's a listener before he's a speaker. This is why his words are truth. This is why he's able to speak a word that will sustain the weary. It says here that he wakens my ear. Now this seems a strange thing, doesn't it? What else would you actually do with an ear than listen? So what is the writer getting at here in Isaiah 50? He wakens my ear to listen. Now, if you have spoken to children, and I apologise for any children here this morning, you can very quickly tell whether they are actually listening to you. They might hear what you say, but they're not really listening. And sometimes, as I've done with my own children, not recently, <laughs> but uh, sometimes you literally have to grab them, don't you? literally by the shoulders and say to look them straight in the eyes and say listen to grab their attention so that they really listen because this is important and this is what happened to the people of God they heard the word of God through the prophets and the priests they heard but they didn't listen they didn't take it to heart and this was revealed to the prophet Daniel who was himself a captive in Babylon there's a wonderful prayer which we can't read it all today but there's a wonderful prayer in Daniel chapter 9 
when this is revealed, when it's revealed to Daniel, how long the exile will be. And what is Daniel's response? I'll read you some of that prayer. I pray to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. You see, the great, one of the great problems with the people of God in captivity, that, that brought them into captivity, was the fact that they didn't listen to God. They heard God's words through the prophets, but they didn't really listen. I remember when uh, I joined the police, 1991, a long time ago now, and my very first posting was to Shepherd's Bush Police Station in West London, near the White City Estate. And one of the hardest things to do, actually, when I, when I joined, one of the hardest things I found was listening to the radio. Now, you might think, well, that's pretty important. Um, because you could actually hear everything that was going on in the whole of West London. So you'd have a radio on your chest. But when you're in the car, you'd also have a radio in the car, which was called a main set. And that basically relayed every call anywhere in London. It could be West London, South London, not anywhere. And you would hear it. And to make matters worse and more difficult for me is that every car, every area, had a different call sign. So, for instance, you had Foxtrot Hotel, Whiskey Whiskey, Whiskey Alpha, X-Ray Alpha, X-Ray Sierra, Victor Whiskey, Victor Mike, Lima Sierra, Charlie X-Ray, Papa Hotel. <laughs> the and I remember thinking, I think, I'm, I'm sure I even said it to Jackie, when I came home, I I'm never going to get this. I'm just, I cannot hear, this is just all noise. But the amazing thing is that after a while you actually do pick out the things that matter. So you hear things that relate to your area straight away or to an area nearby. It's, you just get tuned into it, you've got an ability to listen and to really pick it out. And we live in a world, do we not, that are surrounded by many voices a lot of noise. Ask yourself this question. Whose voice do you listen to? Are you listening to your own voice, making up your own rules as to how you live your life, relying on your own philosophy to get you through life and the life to come? Or maybe you are just living your life and not really listening to anything not really thinking about it. Maybe you're just living your life for the here and now. When we live like this, when we choose not to listen to God's voice, it's as if we are lighting our own torches, depending on our own light to get us out of darkness. So we can trust this servant because he speaks 
the word of God, what he says is truthful. He has, he's been taught by the Lord. But we can also put our trust in this servant because he listens. The third thing I want to say about this servant, why we should put our trust in him, is because he is a servant who obeys. So he's, he's a servant who obeys. Uh, we're very calm, we're very familiar with the phrase, are we not? Actions speak louder than words. And I think most of us, all of us, would probably agree with that. In times gone past, a man's word was his bond. It could be relied upon. A mere handshake was almost the same. It was the same. If you shook on something, you gave your word, it was a done deal. No need for contracts. No need for lawyers. If you shook on it, a man's word was his bond. It could be trusted. But sadly, that is no longer the case in so many situations. Very often, my actions, your actions, do not match what we say. How often have we seen and heard of leaders making great promises and then not living up to what has been promised? But this is not the case with the Lord's servant here in verse 6. Let me read those verses to you. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Now we actually don't know from this passage what the servant has actually been asked to do. It doesn't actually tell us. But we do know that it is going to involve suffering and pain for this servant, for the Lord's servant. And most commentators agree that we mustn't just look at this, these verses here, this image, this picture, and think of it in a sense of a, it's a picture of a nation that suffers or a people that suffers. You see, this part of the servants' songs is very, very different from the others because everything is actually said in the first person. Did you see that? The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned back. I offered my back. I did not hide my face. So this song is very, very different because it's in the first person. And what, when what is happening here is we're actually being given a glimpse, a look into the heart of this servant as he speaks these words to himself to stir up his courage to resolve to follow the commands that the sovereign Lord has given him. To follow the path of obedience even though it was a path of pain and suffering. Does this not remind us of our Saviour, of the Lord Jesus Christ who endured such pain and suffering as he walked the path of obedience to the cross where he died and suffered for every wrong thing we have ever done and ever will do? But there's also an important lesson for us here as Christians this morning. Sometimes we will be called as we walk a path of obedience, to suffer. 
You see, trust is something that actually has to be exercised. It's easy to say you trust, but trust is only shown when it's actually demonstrated. And for us, very often as Christians, it will be demonstrated as we face trials and difficulties, pain and suffering. And God encourages us in his word to keep on trusting him in those times. We're reminded of the words in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So we can trust this servant because he, is, he has an instructed tongue from the Lord. He speaks as taught by the sovereign Lord. We can put our trust in this servant because he listens. And we can put our trust in this servant because he obeys. He obeys God's word. But the last thing I want to say about the servant this morning is that he is a vindicated servant. You see, the servant trusts in the sovereign Lord, knowing that he will be vindicated, knowing that he will not be disgraced or put to shame. It's this trust that gives the servant the determination, the resolution of heart to face whatever he has in obedience to God's word. This is why in verse 7 he will say, Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Now, flint is a very hard rock. And setting your face like flint implies that you're expecting some sort of opposition to stand strong in the face of adversity. And again, does this not remind us of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 9? As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set his face like flint to go to a place where he knew there would be pain and suffering for us, to do his Father's will, to be a servant knowing what lay ahead. And the last few verses here, uh, verses 8 and 9, are a, a picture of a court scene, are they not? Let me read those verses. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like garments. The moths will eat them up. Now, vindicate is a, is a, is a forensic term, actually. It means to bring in a verdict of innocence. It's not the same as not guilty, it's more than that. Sometimes being not guilty is not about having is rather about having not enough evidence to convict you. So someone can be not guilty, but that means there's not been enough evidence to convict them beyond a reasonable doubt. We've all read, haven't we, of cases in court where people have been found not guilty but they could definitely never be said as being innocent. 
Now, vindication is a much stronger term. When someone is vindicated, it's because they know he is completely and utterly innocent. And this is the case with the Lord's servant. And the Lord is on the side of his servant because he knows he is innocent. This is not a case of someone who is guilty being shown mercy and declared innocent. This is not a case of someone being found not guilty because there's not enough evidence to convict him. No, this is the Lord declaring, the sovereign Lord, look at my servant who is righteous. There is no stain on his character. Nothing can be, he cannot be convicted of anything. He is completely innocent. He is the perfect servant. Does this not remind us of the trial of our Lord Jesus? Those who arrested him before Caiaphas, the high priest, when they brought him to the high priest, it says that the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. What man can truly say that the Lord vindicates him? Are there any here this morning? Are there any here whom the Lord will, can declare innocent, righteous, without a spot on his character? This can only be speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ because he was the only man who ever lived, who ever walked this earth, who could truly say he was innocent. He was the only man who truly followed God's word, who walked in the light. He was light. He was truth. You see, my friend, the prophet is pointing us to Jesus, the perfect servant of God, who did what we cannot do. He lived the perfect life. There was no stain on his character, and yet, and yet, he died on a cross and was cast into darkness. The perfect Son of God was placed under the judgment of God. And he did this for you, and he did this for me, so that you can be declared righteous, so that on that final day of judgment, when you stand before the Lord God Almighty, as we all will do, he will look at you, and he will declare you as righteous if you put your trust in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The choice is yours. Will you trust in Jesus this morning? Or will you trust in your own light? If you do, my friend, it will only lead to darkness. Verse, the, the, the last verse here in, the, in our passage reminds us of this. But now all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. My friends, if we put our trust in anything but the Lord Jesus Christ, in anything but his word. We will remain 
in darkness. Every one of us this morning were born into darkness. We have been born with a heart that doesn't want to obey God. We have been born as rebels. Every single one of us, me, you, everyone. I was reflecting the other day, uh, on Valentine's Day actually, that 40 years ago, I became a Christian. I can, I can still remember it as it was yesterday. And the, the thing is that sometimes you do, it's possible for us to realise that we're not even in darkness because it's what we've been born into. And I realised on that night, as I chatted with a, a chap who told me about Jesus and I put my trust in Jesus, I saw, literally saw, the light of God's word. And I was free, free from the power of sin. Now, if anyone's ever watched the, um, the movie Forrest Gump, one of the, uh, the lovely scenes in that film is when he's a, a young boy. You remember that he's walking with Jenny and um, he's, he's got these metal restraints on his legs so he can't bend his knees. And the lads come on their push bikes and they're throwing stones at him and Jenny says, run, Forrest, run. And he starts running. And then all of a sudden, as he runs, his knees begin to bend. And those shackles, those restraints, they fall off. And he, he has a freedom. He, has, he experiences freedom to run as he's never had before. And my friend, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we put our trust in him, and he shines his light into our hearts, and we trust his word, we suddenly find that we were in darkness and when we see his light, we are free to live the life that we should live, the life that we were born to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you um, for your servant. We thank you for your servant, your son, the Lord Jesus whom Isaiah points to, and thank whom everyone points to, all the prophets. We thank you, Father God, that he came into this world to bring us out of darkness and into your light. May it be, Father, that we would all truly sign, I will trust in the name of my God. Amen.